marvelous God. You are wonderful, Jesus. Thank you, God. How many is glad that we serve a God that still wants us to give him praise? That lets us know by the things he does in this world every day that he deserves nothing less than our very best praise. Amen. Whatever that may be, God wants your best. Amen. He gave his all. Amen. That we might give it our best. Amen. I am so glad to be here this morning. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord here today. And those, the little ones that we can't see. It's good to have all our kids. Don't you love kids? Amen. I always have loved kids. But since I became a grandparent, it's just like, just elevated. Man, it's great. I, I love I love the kids. Amen. Before we're seated, we're going to read a scripture in Exodus 15, uh, verses 1 and 2. Anybody ever went to a Calvary Chapel church? You know, the non-denominational uh, hippie kind of church? Yeah, I did. That's where I, got, I, I started going to church like that in Hawaii. And we sang this song that Moses, and you probably have sang it before as well, but with string guitars and stuff. Then uh, sang Moses uh, and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider fell into the sea. That's what the song went. And the Lord is my strength and my song, and he's become my salvation. And the song's like, he's my God, and I will worship him. He's my God, and I will worship him. No? Ring a bell? No? I'm not going to sing it because I did that a couple weeks ago and nobody was like, who's that song? What in the world? And I will prepare him in habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Amen. Why don't you shake someone's hand and just thank them for coming to church. Before I get started today, we have some exciting news. Grow groups start Tuesday. Amen. You you may be seated. Uh, grow groups start on Tuesday. Amen. And before I have the grow group leaders that are here stand so you know who they are, we just was augmented. We just acquired a new grow group leader this morning, uh, even though they are not new to the grow groups. Sister Khan has volunteered their house. <laughs> Sister Khan, would you mind standing? Can you do that? And all the other grow groups uh, stand. Now, uh, we have, okay, let's go. We have Naples over here. We have Lehigh. I'm sorry, uh, North Fort Myers. I apologize. Lehi's sister Veronica is not here, but I know sister Cheryl's going to help. The, uh, Ramirez is Jorge, and them are going to help there. Also in North Fort Myers, uh, we have the locks, uh, Pastor Phil and Sister Taylor. And then, of course, Sister Edna. Now, for our, our new guest, since this came up, she lives off of McGregor, too. And so you can see Sister uh, Khan. Thank you, Sister Khan, so much. And, of course, the Pearls. We are here right in the middle of Fort Myers. Uh, as well. Did I miss anybody? I don't think, I think that's five or six, five. That is, it's, it's awesome. We're starting uh, this uh, Tuesday at 6.30, and we kind of, we want to get 
going around 7, but we want people to be able to come in at their leisure and just have a great time. And it's all about getting together and sharing stories in and, and the word of God. And, and whether it's personal or not, it's all about that. It's all about, and in, of course, inviting people to get there. We, we want to grow. They went house to house, right, and broke bread. So that is uh, something exciting we're looking forward to, and I can't wait to hear the praise reports. I expect great things throughout these semesters. We're going to go eight weeks, and then we're going to skip during the week of general conference and then start up on the other side as well. All right. Now I just took, uh, we got only a half an hour left. That, that's okay. I'm only going an hour. So. Uh, Marcus was a teacher at a Bible college. Randy was a student. Randy struggled with his grades, but he was a hard worker, and he just continued to go to the library and continued to be tutored just to get C's. Yet Randy was super proud of himself for getting C's. Can I get an amen? So I can brag on my wife. I don't know if she's ever saw a C in her life, maybe, whether possibly hardly any B's ever because she's actually going to school right now, and, uh, and she is... Uh, She's doing really good. In fact, the, the professor emailed her and said, I don't know if I've ever had anybody do as good as you did on a paper. Isn't that great? Uh, she doesn't, need, she doesn't do need any more uh, clapping, please. Because <laughs> I've heard that story five or six times already. No. Uh, so when Randy moved to this area where the Bible college was, he started attending the church of his teacher, Marcus. And during that time, he got very, uh, very um, uh, acquainted with the pastor of that church. And, uh, and, of course, Marcus knew him only as a student, but Randy uh, was asked to preach on a given service. And he got up and, uh, uh, like uh, us, uh, maybe... Uh, not practice at speaking, even though I've had a lot of practice, he kind of stumbled through some of his words and, and fell short, and it, and it was kind of mumbled and jumbled at first. He got lost in his notes, and it was sometimes hard to follow. Marcus, the teacher, he might not have remembered the title of that message, but he remembered the next part of his message in the conversation. Tears flowed down Randy. Randy's cheeks as he vo his voice began to tremble, but he spoke with confidence and conviction. He said, just a few years ago, I was homeless. I was pushing shopping carts for a living at a grocery store in a little town in the middle of nowhere. I would spend my days pushing carts in front of the store and my evenings at nights behind the store drinking alcohol and, and, and doing any drug I could find. All my friends were alcoholic smokers and drug addicts. Then one day I was laying in the grass by the store where a man approached me and began to tell me about Jesus. So the man told me that I didn't have to live this way anymore. I could be free from all my addictions. And that night, he gave me a ride to church. And I was so desperate that I went down to the altar, raised my hand, prayed for deliverance, and he got, I got the Holy Ghost, he said. God filled me and, he, and instantly freed me from all my addictions. I never smoked, drank, or did drugs again. I didn't even have the desire to do it. Not only did God set me free, but he shielded me from any withdrawals. My God is good. He is. 
Randy goes on to say, he showed me that day he was stronger than any addiction or sin. That is our problem, church. Sometimes we don't believe that. That God is stronger than our issues or an addiction or our circumstance. But God is. And that's one thing we have to remember, especially in our witness, where God had brought us from, where we are today. God was stronger than anything that held us back. And sometimes we do forget that. And he, Randy says, I will never stop telling the story of how God delivered me. He set me free, and he can set you free, too. I will get into that in a little bit later about telling our story. Just, just a couple sentences. I don't want to ruin that now. God delivered Israel out of Egypt with many signs and wonders. And this message, we're going to go over the plagues. We're going to go over some of the stories behind that as well, too. To get your uh, thought process, to get your understanding about how God can deliver his people. Okay, his people that were sinning, that were turned away from God, that weren't living for God at that time. And he did this through his servant, Moses. He sent 10 plagues upon Egypt. The first plague turned the Nile River into blood, which destroyed their primary water source, killed all the fish, in other words. Not to be outdone, the Egypt, uh, Egyptian magicians conjured up some kind of either tricks or black magic. Satan himself probably helped them, but they also turned rivers into blood as well, the water into blood. The same thing happened in the second plague. At Moses' command, a flood of frogs invaded Egypt with such force that the filthy creatures, that's probably one of my wife's terms, could be found in every bedroom and kitchen cabinet in Egypt. Can you imagine, Renee, a, a plague of frogs? She screams at the sight of a baby frog jumping across our garage trying to get in from the rain. So I can't imagine that around there. Poor little frogs. So once again, the Egyptians used some kind of trickery and magic or Satan helped them. They created even more frogs. Can you... Why would you want any? Why even want frogs? Why just make them disappear? But they couldn't. However, the third plague was different. Moses struck the ground and a dust of air became gnats. And it tormented every human and every animal in Egypt. And so the Egyptian magicians tried to do the same thing, but they couldn't. In just three rounds of battle, the God of the Israelites had already proven he was superior. By the sixth plague, the magicians could not even stand on their feet. By the eighth plague, all the servants of Pharaoh were actively begging Pharaoh, please let, your, let these, um, these Hebrew people go. Let the Israelites go. Because they realized how much more powerful the God of Moses was over all their pagan gods. Through the ten plagues, God demonstrated how weak and false these Egyptian gods were. For every plague, the Egyptians had a corresponding deity that failed to perform when the Egyptians needed. Do you, do you understand? So all these plagues, the Egyptians had a God of that. For example, when God sent a swarm of flies on the fourth plague, he showed the inadequacy of Kepri, the Egyptian God of creation, who had the head of an insect. Yep, no good, can't do it. When he sent hell, he proved that Nut, the Egyptian goddess of the sky, was unable to protect them. 
When God sent the ninth plague, darkness, he demonstrated the falsehood of Ra. We're all familiar with Ra, right? The God of sun, one of the oldest and most important Egyptian deities. In modern times, few people serve literal stones of, uh, idols of stone and wood. However, still many worships altars of money, right? Career, fame, or other worldly standards of success. God has no problem proving that these gods are weak and insufficient. If we allow him, God can demonstrate that he's the only God worth living for. Let me reiterate, if we allow him, God can prove to us that he is stronger than anything else in this world. But if we don't allow God to do that, our will is going to be manifested. We're going we're gonna to have control over that. See, we have to submit to God. I don't know how many times I've talked to people about coming to the altar and just opening their mind and being honest with God, completely honest. At the same time as when you lay your head back at night before you close your eyes and you start thinking about life. And I know I'm not the only one that does that. Where am I going? What am I doing? What have I done? Can I be a better person? Am I, oh, I did that. Oh, this. That's honesty. And that's at the altar. When we invite our friends to a grow group, we invite them to church. And when we, when we talk to them, we, we can tell them the time that we were so honest with God that we allowed him to flood our lives and our minds and our hearts because we were honest. God's not going to feel them with the Holy Ghost if they're not honest. If they're not totally committed or surrendered to God. They're not, he's not going to fill them. He's not going to, it's just can't, you can't do that. God used the plagues to demonstrate himself as real and powerful in the lives of the Egyptians. The ten plagues also helped make God known to the Israelites. God stills that, still does that today. When a person's life is changed for the better, the church family gets encouraged and comforted and to know God is still working to build the kingdom of God. I am encouraged when people get baptized, right? But I am ten times more encouraged when I see them back in church because I know God is working in their lives everywhere. God is, is calling somebody to minister to them, to give them a Bible study, to witness, to call them out, to bring them to a grow group, to do something to that effect. And I will, I will tell you this. If their worldly friends and family were completely honest with themselves, they would also see the change in their lives for good. I think I've mentioned this before, and some of you have told me as well and throughout my life, that sometimes I thought my parents rather me, uh, would rather have me doing drugs than serving God in church. It's like, you know, because they weren't in church, I'm saying. They, my, I was not raised. So, yeah, they, they, you know, or your friends are like, you're doing that? No, come to the bar. Come here and do this. Don't go to there. You're brainwashed as they're drinking at a bar or doing whatever, addicted. It's sin, Right? It's sin. Sin has a nasty way of, of wrapping its fingers around you and, 
your throat or your body and suffocate you or strangle you, it has a way to do that, and it's sin. The Israelites had not been living in the freedom of God and, and how he wanted them and he desired for them. The plagues of Egypt revealed to the Hebrews that God was still fighting on their side, even during their darkest hour. The plagues reminded them that God's still in control and working for the deliverance. That's why God sent Moses to remind them of God's message. Today he gives us pastors and preachers and other spiritual leaders to guide us and remind us of God's power and plan for our lives. He does that. He gives us people to help us, to encourage us. You know, at any point, the Hebrews could have chosen not to believe God and remain in slavery. And on the other hand, the Egyptians could have acknowledged and repented and and humbled themselves before God, and the plagues would have ceased. So you had two two peoples there. Thankfully, in Exodus 14.31, it says that the Israelites saw that uh, great work with the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And if we've heard about this type of fear, it doesn't mean that they were scared or anxious or worried about what God was going to do. It means they had uh, reverence and respect and wonderment, recognizing his great power and sovereignty over the world and our lives. And all this time, God made a distinction between Israel and Egypt, his people and the world, his people and the world. And I will tell you this, and it just came to me, but throw something at me if I'm wrong. We are humans, and the people out in the world are humans, okay? It's not God doesn't love us more. But he's able to work in us because we are willing and we have surrendered to him. He can't work out in the world. He can't. And so that's why I am so proud. And I just love being in an apostolic church. Because because where I have and what I have been in since 1980, uh, what is it, 84, the end of 84, I have seen the church love everybody. If you came in here with a pack of cigarettes or a needle in your pocket or you came in a homosexual or whatever that was the case when you came in, the church loved them and prayed for them and didn't shun them and call them names. And that's why I and I that's why I get so upset when I hear people say that Christians don't like people. I was like, oh no. I have never, ever heard that come across. Not, a, not come across a pulpit. And if I've ever have heard it come across in a conversation, I have not intimidated by anyone, For first of all. And I will tell them, no. Those are God's people. Okay, I just took a little bit more time than I wanted there. When we see the wicked, and it seems like they're prevailing, we know that God... God sees this situation perfectly. He sees everything. He hears our prayers to him when things are not going right. He has already made a distinction between his children and the enemy. And he is fighting for us because we are, we are willing, we are submitted. That's the word I was looking for. We are submitted to him. 
and he can use us. If we're not, if we put up a shield, if we're cold, he cannot work in our lives. In the fourth play, God said uh, that the land of Goshen, this is where the Israelites dwelt, would be protected from the plague of flies. But over in Egypt, fly swatters were sold out because there were so many flies coming. The Egyptians slapped at flies and watched as they destroyed their food supplies. Imagine you guys going into your pantry and you can't see your food because of flies. You would have those things, those sticky things, fly uh, sticky things hanging up all over and you still wouldn't be able to get those. Those were out of those were out of stock too. The same favor was uh, shown in the fifth plague. Uh, while the Egyptian livestock, all the animals and stuff like that, the cows, the sheep, the goats, all that, they all uh, had got disease and got sick and died. The uh, Hebrews or the Israelites' uh, livestock were fine. They were great. In the seventh plague, God perfectly divided the sin so that not a single hailstone landed in the land of Goshen. But in Egypt, it was pounded by the worst hail they'd ever seen. The ninth plague was especially incredible. In Egypt, complete and total darkness engulfed the people. So much that no one could travel or even see each other. But in Goshen, it was night and day. In fact, they say it, you could probably stand on and like hop. I'm not going to hop because I can't, but darkness, light. Darkness, light. You know, if, if, if we humble ourselves and we submit ourselves to God, we can see that line. When we start dabbling and going into certain things or places or people and see that, we can see the line that has separated us from the world. The Bible says to be separate. And that just demonstrated the power of God to the Israelites. The tenth and last plague, God issued a special warning to this final plague. Israel, the Israel, uh, earlier, not Israel. Earlier, the Israelites were automatically spared from these plagues. But in the 10th plague, God asked them to go take a lamb, sack or uh, kill it, take its blood and put it on the door uh, frame, the threshold, right, of, of that, of the of all the Hebrew kids, uh, children. So all the Israelites, the Hebrews, God's children, took the blood and put it over the threshold. But the Egyptians didn't. And the plague was to kill the firstborn. Everything, basically. And so that blood applied to their doorstep or their doorpost protected them. We do know that the blood of the lamb was a prophecy of the blood of another lamb that would be shed one day. John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus, he cried what? Behold. The Lamb of God would take away the sin of the world. John understood that the coming Messiah would be sacrificed and his blood would provide an atonement, protection from eternal death and punishment. It, back in this time of the plagues, the children of Israel were protected and saved. Their firstborns were, were not taken, they were not killed, but delivered by the blood of the Lamb. When the blood of Jesus, the ultimate lamb is, lamb, is applied to our lives, we can still experience freedom and protection. When is the last time that you told somebody that? Did you know the blood of Jesus, like it, it delivered me from swearing and cussing and smoking and fooling around and drugs and addiction and 
you know, thief, thievery or whatever it is, adultery or fornication, whatever that means. The, the blood of Jesus applied. I was baptized. I was saved. It delivered me, and it can do the same for you. Whatever that is, it can do that. I thank God for that. I thank God for a witness, a testimony. In John, um, John 1, 7, John said that we are to submit to God, walk in the light, and then the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from our sin. Ephesians 1, 7, Paul wrote this, that in Christ we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sin according to his riches of grace. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, he wrote this, and I'm summarizing. I know I'm not going completely with that. He wrote that believers have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. No other God can do that. There was only one God. There was only one spotless lamb. And that is the only blood that can be applied to our lives. Just as the Israelites applied those blood, that blood to the doorstep, New Testament believers did the same. The blood of Jesus was applied to their souls when they repented, when they were buried in baptism and received the Holy Ghost. And since the death of Christ was once and all, Renee and I were talking about this this week, the, since the death of Christ was once and all, his, his burial was once and all, we can be assured that his blood is still effective today. Jesus is not dying on the cross every month, every week. He is not still around doing that. He's not coming back doing that. That was a one time. This is it. We can still apply his blood to our lives and experience redemption, cleansing, and deliverance. That is the message to this world. God gave the Israelites instructions to protect them during this Passover. He also gave them instructions to remember. You know, they celebrate a lot, uh, some, not all the Jewish people, but some of them celebrate the Passover with a celebration of victory. And, and, and they get together and they have a feast or a harvest and that. And, and in the like manner, we need to celebrate the fact that we are saved. And how better way of doing that is to be a witness to other people, to tell them that Jesus is the reason that I'm saved. He, I, this is what I did. This is all the things I did. And God, God, God saved me from that. He delivered me from those addictions. He delivered me from that way of life. The Bible also tells us God allowed his children uh, on the way out of Egypt to take whatever. That's a cool story. A lot of, it's kind of a funny story, too, that they went up to the Egyptians and said, hey, do you mind if I have all your gold in your house? Yeah, go ahead. Take it. They just piled it up on their, on their, uh, on their oxes, uh, on their, the oxen, I should say, all, and on their carts, all that. They just, they just took it out. Another blessing from God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all. These things shall be added to you. Matthew 6, if you want to ever look that up. It's an awesome scripture. I love that. One of the most famous events occurred as they were traveling and they got to the edge of the Red Sea. And though there were some doubters that said, oh, this is it. Moses, what have you done? What have you done? Right? Have you ever been there? You know, you know there is a time, I believe, you can do that. 
because we do it anyways. We go, God, what are you doing in my life? But God always comes through. It doesn't matter what the circumstance. It doesn't matter if you've lost a job, if you lost uh, somebody close to you. If it hurts, and you might say, God, why now? You brought me here. Everything was going as planned. We had plans. To... And God says, I have it. I have it under control. And when they got to the Red Sea, the same thing. The, Moses just went to the edge, put his rod down. The sea opened up. They went through. And as the Egyptians came through, we know the story, the water closed up. And the Egyptian army were, was killed. Just like the miracle, this miracle, God has not delivered us from our sins and transgressions to allow us to spiritually perish when we encounter various trials. So next time you're going through something, and you might, hopefully, I pray that you don't, but next time you do, remember the Red Sea. God didn't bring you this far, as all those songs say just to turn his back on you. God is going to help you. God would not start on a path unless he planned on walking it with us every step of the way. When the Israelites were truly free from the Egyptians, Exodus 15 says that they sang that song that I talked about earlier and we read the scripture. In this song, they sing about God's destruction of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. And just like the Israelites sang and celebrated their deliverance annually, we often need to, we need to celebrate our salvation, as I mentioned earlier. When we share our testimonies, we encourage others. I can't say that enough, and I don't. And I, I, the other night, uh, the young man was preaching here on Thursday night. I got a little convicted because I, it's in my heart, and I say it so calmly and talk. And, and I, I don't feel like I, I'm getting it across to everybody. But we need to witness we got to go out. We have to go out and plant seeds for the church here to grow. We want new people to come. We want people to drop their needles and their cigarettes and their alcohol out the door or here, wherever it is. I don't care. We want them baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. But we have to witness. God gave us the Holy Ghost, Acts 1-8, to be witnesses. Amen. We have to do it. We got to get out. We have to. There's so many times I've, I've mentioned and talked and people and stuff. The church, the people, I'm sorry, has to get out of the church. Physically out, not spiritually. And that's why one of the reasons, and I, I think this is like my fifth time saying it, grow groups. It's one of the ways to do that. We can bring people here. We can. You got it now. You know, you should have just one option. Hey, can you come to church? No. Okay. Hey. Will you like come oh, come over to my house? Come on over with me to my friend's house. Because one of the hardest things they say, besides death and taxes or, or taxes, is, is getting up in front of somebody or talking to somebody that you don't know. I know it's tough. It, it is. It is tough. I understand that. Is it hard for me? No. But it, it's it, sometimes. Sometimes it is. It's kind of like when I was selling alarm systems. I'd go to a house, and it was like, they don't need an alarm system. They need a house. This thing is horrible. And so when you're talking to somebody about, about the things, and they're, like, really rich or fancy, and they got everything in the world, and you're like, 
They're not going to want God. They're going to have to give up stuff. It's not us to decide. All right? It's not. God turned the Egyptians' mind, right? And they submitted to God's will by allowing the children of Israel to take their belongings and their possessions. God can change people's minds. No matter how rich, how poor, if they're lying in the grass. I don't know what you do. I know what I do. But when, when I, this is a lesson I was going over, and, and it talks about the guy that was laying in the grass. There are so many times I've walked by and stopped and talked to this one guy that just lays in the grass by our work. He's not there. He hasn't been there for a year or so. But, and talk to him and talk to him about God or tell him, you know, you need to stop drinking all that beer. There's 12 beer cans around him. You know, and, and, and. They're so messed up, and it's funny, but I said, hey, man, you want me to help? You know, you need to clean up these beer cans, too, because I want to break the ice. Oh, they're not mine, while he's holding the same brand. You, you got to look past those sayings. When somebody rebuts you, you got to look past that, and all you have to do is tell them what God did for you. You don't know their life. You don't know where they came from, whether they're a vet, whether their wife left them, their husband left them, whether the kids died, whether their parents just threw them out as a kid. You don't know anything about them, but you know your testimony, and that's what you give. We should share our testimonies. We encourage others and strengthen ourselves by remembering God's delivering power. Randy's sermon at the beginning of the story uh, I talked about, was not the last one he ever preached. Randy did not graduate from Bible college because he was asked to pastor a church back where he grew up and where he was, he was saved. He moved back home and took over church. Only five people who were renting a tiny storefront that could only seat a dozen or so people. I remember visiting uh, uh, Roger and Carrie down in uh, Bonita Springs, and we were at a storefront there. Uh, how many's ever been in a storefront church? Right? Right? And I know I know a lot of uh, folks, some of the folks, the uh, older folks here at APT was doing the villages, sitting up every day doing that, right? Uh, and, and Or renting another church or renting the cafeteria of a school. Do that. We, we've, all, we've all seen that where it starts off as a struggle. But Randy, this guy Randy didn't let that bother him. He started telling people about how he was saved. He didn't care how big the church was, and he knew the church could not afford to pay him. He just wanted to tell people about the God who delivered him from his addictions and spiritual bondage of all those years. Couldn't we get that in our mind, not worrying about what's going on and just tell people about Jesus? Wouldn't that be awesome if we could just do that? Just get out of here and to do that. After a few years passed, Marcus, you remember Marcus? He was the Bible college teacher. Him and his wife were going to go overseas to, on a missions trip. And uh, Randy heard about that, and he invited him to his church to support him. So when Marcus walked into the church, he was shocked. They had three of those storefront places all broke down into one church. Over 100 people was there already. And Marcus was because he, he knew Randy from school, and he knew that he only started with five people. They went out to eat that night, and Randy, the pastor, the guy that was homeless, handed him a check bigger than any of the other uh, offerings that 
Marcus had ever got for this mission trip. And so he stared at him uncomfortably and, and he asked Randy, what did you do? And, and because they were friends, he's like, what kind of gimmick? Is there, did you do something? And, and Randy, he started crying. And he smiled and he said, you remember my testimony all those years ago at the Bible school church? Well, my pastor told me I just needed to tell people about that story. He told, me, he told me that the world needed to hear about the saving and delivering power of Jesus Christ. When I, and I'm quoting here, when I became pastor of this church, I, will, I just kept telling people about how God saved me. I often wonder, this is me now, I often wonder why us preachers spend so much time trying to keep a saved church saved instead of reaching the lost and getting them saved. Church, as saints, we have an obligation to stay saved. Work out your own salvation, the Bible says. I said earlier, we have leaders. Thank God for Pastor Phil. Thank God for Bishop, what he's done all these years. Thank God for our leadership in the music and and the sound and the ushers and the Sunday school teachers and the grow group leaders. Thank God for all that. But we need our focus, what the Bible's plan of salvation and the Bible's commission is to reach the lost. Randy goes on to say, I even posted pictures on social media and on the screen at church of myself before I was saved. Imagine that, of an unkept man strung out on drugs in the grass, long hair, nat it, nat it, nat it, whatever. And then they see him as a pastor, clean cut in a suit or a nice shirt, whatever the case was. And they see him, they said, this is what God has done. Hey, remember what I said earlier about and if your friends and your family are very honest, they will see the difference for good. For good. They're going to see a difference, but sometimes the world messes them up and say, oh, you're in that church over there. But they see that. And so almost all the people in my church are former drug addicts, he goes on, and alcoholics. I cannot tell you how many people God has delivered from addictions, uh, you know, either simultaneously or instantaneously over time, but they have. And every time I see another soul set free, it reminds me I have to keep telling about God and how he can deliver us. That was Randy's quote. How many of us in this building go out every day or every chance we get to tell people about our deliverance from sin? How many? Now, on your thought, you, you can do like me. How many people? I don't know. I don't, I, so I want to do something unorthodox right now. You guys don't have it because right, I, I like doing things crazy. Everybody take out your phones. Don't. Take out your phones. If you have a phone, take it out. I don't know Andrew, Android. I don't know Andrew either. I do know Andrew. but <laughs> Okay, I want everybody to click on your contacts. So you, so on an iPhone, scroll all the way to the bottom. On an Android, just stay on the top. I want you to, you don't have to tell us, please. How many contacts do you have in that phone? Now, I know a lot of them are businesses. Some of them are just, you know, people keep place settings for passwords and stuff like that, too. I understand that. I have over 500, right? I have a lot, you know, contacts. 
732. Now, let me ask you this, because I'm going to get, I'm just going to get all in your face. How many of those people are saved? We don't know who to reach. We have a list on us. We carry it every day. Every day around. And I know friends and family are the hardest people to witness to. They are. I mean, I, 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 at one time my mom was in a van crying about, tell me about Jesus' name, baptism. Years later, I was talking, she's like, I don't believe in it anymore, a God or anything like that. It's, it's hard. It is tough. I know it is hard. But we have a list of people. And we can go through, and our brain goes this. Nope, nope, they're not going to ever, nope, nope. No, let, let's God, let God decide that, right? Are we embarrassed? Is our testimony too graphic? Or maybe not graphic enough? It doesn't matter if we were homeless, a drug addict, or a criminal, or a petty theft, or a crime boss. It doesn't matter if you were raised in the church and you stole money from your mama's purse. You are saved and you have a testimony. You have a victory port. Let's stand. And Jesus told us to go out and be a witness to the lost and dying world. What are you being a witness to? How Jesus and his blood was sacrificed. He sacrificed himself for your salvation. That is our witness. We are going to talk about God. And the best place we know, the, the most terrific, um, awesome, amazing story that we have about Jesus is our own salvation. I love telling how I was saved. It's embarrassing, but I'm going to tell it anyways. I got to a youth service out in California. My sister had invited me, and I had gone there several times. She goes, you ready to be baptized? And I was right before I went into the Navy. I said, no, I'm not. Why not? I said, I didn't bring any underwear. She pulled a pair of my underwear out of her purse. God can do anything. I was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost that night. It's a testimony. God delivered me because I had sisters and brothers praying for me to get the Holy Ghost. You have been delivered. You have been set free. And someone needs to know about the answer. Aren't you glad Jesus is the answer? Why don't we worship him right now as we begin to sing? Jesus is the
one thing that I try to remember when witnessing, because that's the way I was. That's the way I used to think, and I used to be, and I used to act. And whatever the situation, they, they are struggling with the hold that the world has on them. And I say, thank God they are struggling and not completely submitted. There are some. So there's an opportunity to talk to people. Every day we have that. I'm telling you, we have it every day. You, you ever, you, I know I'm taking long, I apologize, but you ever, you ever like, well, they'll never see me again, and you do something crazy, like you're on a cruise ship, and, you, and you're in the dance line or something like that, or you're out at Disney, in the Disney Springs, and they have, you know, people going around, and, and you're goofing, or you get into a, a parade or something like that, or you do something for work, or something, oh, they'll never see me again, or something like that. You know what? We need to have that attitude when we go in. You know what? I'm throwing everything out the window. I'm going to do this. They don't know me at ever. If nothing happens, if they don't come to the Lord, I, I, I hope that's not the case. But I want that attitude to go in and say, you know what? I have nothing to lose but everything to gain. Amen. God bless you. Uh, we will see you. Thank you for this time. We're going to go into prayer before our 11 o'clock service. In Jesus' name.